0: This morning, uh, we're in this new series entitled Focus. Everybody say focus. focus. And uh, last week, we made some pretty strong points about some of the things that we need to start doing or, or, or getting ready in order to focus on 2019. Number one, we talked about we need to prepare for the next season, right? How many you know that you can't prepare for something that happens in the moment? You have to be prepared for something that's going to happen. By the time it happens, it's already too late, so let's get prepared. Let's prepare properly, and we talked a little bit about that last Sunday. Uh, We also, the second thing that we talked about is getting control of ourselves. Look at somebody, tell them, get control over yourself. Right, we gotta get control back. We gotta learn how to control ourselves. We can't control what comes at us, right? But we can control ourselves. We need to learn how to control the way that we think, way that we process, the way that we talk, the way that we love, the way that we forgive. We've got to be able to control those things. Number three, we talked about the power of a united focus. And today, I I want to um, entitle this message, Adjust Your Focus. Say that with me. Adjust your focus. Because when you're out of focus and you're not able to see properly, your mind starts playing tricks on you and you start making decisions based on what you think you saw what you think you heard, right? You might have gotten a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation. And so we need to adjust our focus. I read this really cool article about a, a research study done by a woman by the name of Vicky Medvec. She's a professor at Northwestern University. And she studied the Olympic medal- medalist and she discovered that bronze medalists were happier than silver medalists. Here's why. Medvik said that the silver medalists tended to focus on how how close they came to winning the gold and did not. They weren't satisfied with silver. Bronze medalists tended to focus on how close they came to not winning a medal, and they were just happy to be on the medal stand or to even get a medal at all. And I think what the study reveals is an incredible facet of human nature and that is that your focus determines your reality. Your focus determines your reality. You've heard me say in times past, how you believe is how you receive, right? And So your focus becomes your reality. Your reality, your individual personal reality becomes your truth. Your truth is something that you will fight for that you will protect, um, that you will uh, 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 live by. And so I think when we think our focus determines our reality, then we need to realize that uh, sometimes our reality is different than other people's reality because our focus is different. Everybody track with me? How I feel or how we feel isn't determined necessarily by objective circumstances. If that was the case, then the silver medalist would be happier than a bronze medalist because they had an objectively better result. So how we feel isn't determined by objective circumstances. How we feel is determined by our subjective focus. Here's another way of saying it. Here's my first point. Your internal attitudes are more important than your external circumstances. How you feel about things internally are really more important about things that are external in your life. You, you again you may have heard me say that you can't control what happens to you, but you can control what happens through you. And because you are a Christian, because you are to be Christ-like because you are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, then your response needs to be different than most people's responses that are not born again. If you're a Christian, you're not going to respond like a heathen. If you're a Christian and the Bible describes you like a saint, you aren't going to respond like a sinner. Come on. It doesn't matter what's happening on the outside circumstance. What matters is your internal attitude about what's happening happening on the outside. Galatians 5.16 puts it this way, out of the Passion's Translation. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, he's saying yield, as you surrender, as you live by, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. For your self-life or your flesh craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. So then the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the Flesh and of the new creation life of the Spirit. But when you are brought into the full freedom of the Spirit, of grace, you will no longer be living under the domination of the law, but you'll be soaring above it. You'll have a different perspective. There's something different about you because of Christ who lives in you. right? And so if the Spirit dominates the flesh then the response that you give to outside circumstances is going to be something spiritual and not something carnal. Everybody tracking with me? So your internal attitude is more important than the external circumstance. And let me say it again just one more time. Your internal attitudes are more important than your external circumstances. So here's point number two. Why? Because we tend to see what we're looking for. We tend to look for what we desire, what we want. And I think that there are two types of people that are in the church world today. There is the complaining Christian and then there's the worshiping Christian. A Christian who's very pessimistic and a Christian that's very optimistic. A Christian that constantly finds anything to complain about while a worshiper is looking for an opportunity to praise God about what they're going through. So there's two different types of people. The question that you have to ask yourself is that who are you or who do you want to be? Right? So we all develop assumptions and profiles about everything all the time when we look for something we'll see what we're looking for when we look for evidence to support our assumptions sometimes what we'll do is that we'll, 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 we'll ignore evidence that's even to the contrary of what we're looking for for example if you decide that you don't like somebody and I know nobody here's ever done this Just the third service people, (laughs) just kidding. But when you've already decided in your heart that you don't like somebody for whatever reason, it could be their personality personality, clashes with your personality. It could be something that you've heard about them. It could be the way that they come across to you. It could be um, something that had happened in the past Whatever it may be, we're not looking behind us, we're looking ahead of us, right? But when we're looking for something and we're looking for something in someone, we tend to see what we want to see. So if we meet somebody and immediately we don't like them, we've already decided internally how we're gonna treat them and how we're going to view them. And it doesn't matter how nice they are, it doesn't matter how fruitful they are, it doesn't matter how much God's done in them. You're always going to look for the very thing that you don't like about them. Come on. I, I, I know this is a hard one. But I think that as human beings, we do this a lot without even saying it. So again, it doesn't matter if they're nice. For whatever reason, you've already judged them and you're like, they're just fake. They're fake. They come up to you. They're like, hey, so nice to see you. And you walk away thinking you're so fake. (laughs) Because you've already decided in your heart how you're going to view them. You've already decided in your mind, it doesn't matter what they do or how they do it, you've already have this profile of them, okay? The flip side, believe it or not, is true as well. When you're head over heels in love with somebody, you tend to see only the things that you want to see that you love about them, and you reject all the red flags that are about them. <laughs> You're like, they're, they're, they're so nice, and, and they treat me so good, and, 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 and then they really love me, and they really treat me well, but he's a bank robber. I mean, it's just... <laughs> You know? But he loves me. We tend to see what we look for. We tend to see what we want. We tend to see what we desire. I can't tell you how many times people have been in relationships that have had red flags, shown them, recorded, YouTubed. You know what I'm saying? And they're like, oh, that's not really them. (laughs) Why? Because they only see what they wanna see. And here's our problem. Again, we're talking about adjust your focus because we'll ignore the red flags and the early warning signs of dangerous roads ahead all because you're focused on what you love about them. And now, and now, when somebody brings to your attention the red flags, This is why you shouldn't do it. This is why you shouldn't move forward, whether it be with relationship, finances, of course, business, school, friendships, you name it. When somebody shows you the red flags, all of a sudden, they don't want you to be happy. But they love you. They've been protective over you. They want God's best for you. But all of a sudden, everybody is a hater because they don't want you to be happy. No, they don't want you to be hurt, but you're focusing on the wrong things. Why? Because we tend to see what we want to see. I promise you we're going somewhere with this. You need to adjust your focus because too many people see what they want to see. And when they get a bad interpretation of what's really happening, they start losing their focus. I can't tell you how many times really on fire Christians in love with God, serving God wholeheartedly lose their focus because they put their focus on something else and they put that something else before God. There have been stories after story after story. There was this guy that we knew, I'm not gonna mention his name, you guys won't know him here, but people that that have been saved for a very long time, there was this guy, he was on fire for God, right? on fire for God loved God when the worship was playing he would dance he would he would lift up his hands he would be serving he would be loving on people he'd be reaching people for Jesus and and then he fell in love with this girl and when he fell in love with this girl within a matter of months he stopped dancing he stopped lifting his hands He stopped serving in ministry. Why? Because he shifted his focus. And when some things were brought to his attention, all of a sudden, people don't want him to be happy. All of a sudden, (laughs) all of a sudden, the very people that have been there for him, the very people that have loved on him, the very people that have helped him, all of a sudden, they hate him based on his interpretation of the red flags that they're showing him. You just, you don't, you don't love me. You don't want me to be happy. She's the best thing that God's ever given me. Bro, she stopped you from worshiping. Red flag. I don't know who this is for. I'm just throwing it out there. If another individual, no matter who it is, can keep you from worshiping God, You've taken your focus off of Jesus and you've put him on that individual. And now you care more about what that individual thinks about you than what God thinks about your worship. Why? Because you've shifted your focus. And we do this all the time. All of us do. Why? Because when we start going through stuff, we zoom into our problem. Or we zoom into the circumstance. Or we zoom into what we're going through. And we're so zoomed in they can't we can't see God anymore. All we see is the problem. All we see is a circumstance. All we see is a situation. And we let something that's external change what God did internally. We need to focus. We need to focus. Listen to what Alan Redpath said. And I quote, The conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacture of of a saint is the task of a lifetime. Let me say this. In one instant, God can transform every single one of us and I believe that he has for for those of you that are born again, for those of you that have accepted Jesus Christ that in that one moment, God transformed you from sinner to saint. Why? Because he died and he rose again for, for you to bring you to a right relationship with God. But that doesn't make you perfect from there on out. It doesn't mean that you have it all together from there on out. The Bible says to work out your faith with fear and trembling. There is a process of growth that takes place in every Christian life. Some people grow faster in their faith than other people. And one is not better than the other per se. All I'm saying is this, when your focus is on God, you're gonna be constantly growing, You're going to be constantly changing. You're going to be constantly adapting to the perfect will of God over your life. It's not a a one-year thing. It's not a five-year thing. It's a lifetime plan. And so thank God, thank God today that you aren't where you used to be, but you're still growing. You're still under construction. Can anybody say amen? You're still being built up. You're still being perfected. I don't have it all together, ask Roxanne. (laughs) I don't have it all together by any means, but I'm pursuing the call of God on my life. I'm pursuing that for which Christ Jesus has called me to. I'm pursuing that, which means I'm constantly pursuing. I'm constantly focusing. I'm constantly reaching forward and forgetting everything that's happened in my past. I'll learn from my past, but I won't live in my past. Come on, that means you've got to keep working on your faith. That means that you're constantly changing. And I know that we don't like change, but change is a part of life. That means we're, we're probably going through growth pains. That means that, that you haven't arrived, but you're passionately pursuing Jesus. Watch what Paul says in Philippians 3, again, 13 through 15. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. He's not focused on himself to be able to do this. He knows that he can't do this by himself not focused on this. I, I, I know on my own strength to accomplish. I, I, I don't depend on that. I do have one compelling, what? Focus. I forget the past as I fasten my heart to the future. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who are fully mature have this same passion. If anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. We're constantly changing, constantly growing. We're constantly experiencing these growth pains. And you, you, you got to get this into you right now, you guys. Whatever you put up with in life is what you'll end up with in life. Whatever you put up with about yourself, you'll end up the end of your life. Proverbs 4.23 says this, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. In this lifetime, church, you're going to have really, really good days. And you're going to have really, really bad days. Right? Sometimes those days will turn into months. Sometimes those months will turn into years. But you have to determine right now, am I going to be a complainer or am I going to be a worshiper? Am I going to be somebody that allows my external circumstances change my internal attitude or am I going to let my internal attitude and relationship with Jesus change the way that I see everything on the outside of me? Here's my third point. Miracles come out of painful places. Miracles come out of painful places. In Acts chapter 16 Paul and Silas are in a prison cell. You know the story really well. Most of you do. They're in a prison cell, and everyone is on the outside looking in, and is probably thinking, man, they're in a bad place. They're in a really bad place. They're having a really bad day. A little bit of context of this is that Paul and Silas were going about doing what God had called them to do, and a fortune teller starts calling them out. They're saying, hey, you're this, and hey, you're that. And, and Paul and Silas basically get fed up with the fact that that she's exposing who they are to the community. And basically they cast out this demon out of this slave girl. She was a slave to a master who was making money off of her for the possession and the gifting that she had. So Paul and Silas cast this demon out of her. Now she can't fortune tell anymore. She doesn't have that power. She doesn't have that, 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 that gift no longer. Her master finds out about it, he gets mad. When he gets mad, He stirs up everybody in the city against Paul and Silas. What does he have them do? He has them beat up, jumped, beat down, and then imprisoned. Now, again, this girl was a slave who made money for her owner. And so this guy doesn't like what he did. So the fortune teller owner has Paul and Silas beat down and arrested. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 22 through 23. It's an incredible story. When you're thinking about when you're thinking about an, an external circumstance and an internal relationship with God, it says this: A great crowd gathered, and all the people joined in in coming against them. The Roman officials that Paul and Silas, uh, uh, the Roman officials ordered that Paul and Silas be stripped of their garments and beaten with rods on their bare backs. How many of you know that that's a really bad day? Come on, has anybody been jumped before? Be honest. Come on, anybody, anybody here? Everybody, come on. I've been jumped one or two times. <laughs> BC, before Christ, okay. And I remember, <laughs> I remember that was a really bad day. That was a, It was at an after party down the street on Hawthorne and 136. And if it was one of you, I'm going to find you. Anyway, so... <laughs> It was on a Halloween night, and I got jumped by like 10 or 15 guys. I don't know. I was drunk. I was messed up. All I know is I said something I shouldn't have said, and it went off. I got jumped. It was bad. It was a bad day. In fact, I was supposed to die that night. By the grace of God, I know that I didn't die that night because I'm here with you today. But it was a really bad day. But when you read what they went through, a mob stripped them down and took rods to their back, to their bare backs, and then they were severely beaten and were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. So the jailer placed them in the innermost cell of the prison and had their feet bound in chains. I don't know about the bad days that you've had. I don't know, I've never had a bad day like that. And the, the worst part of it, I think it is, is that they weren't doing anything wrong. They were doing what God called them to do. So they could have been like, God, where are you in all this? Here I am serving you, here I am casting demons out of girls that are are possessed, and my reward is getting beat down, jumped, stripped down, and shackled in a dungeon. The Bible talks about this place being a deep place within the prison, a deep, dark place within the prison. And I can't imagine being locked up like that. And it's hard to put yourself in their shoes. We've all had bad days, but this day in their life was brutal. It was brutal. They had to have been a little ticked off, right? They had to have been mumbling or complaining or something. But nowhere in scripture does it say, then they got mad at God. Nowhere in scripture does it say, now they start blaming other people for their problems. Nowhere in scripture does it say that their hearts grew cold and they backslid. and Paul went back to being Saul and started chasing down Christians and imprisoning them and killing them. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, it's pretty powerful what the, power, what the Bible says because... Nowhere in all of this do they start complaining. Nowhere. I read this quote about complaining. It's awesome. It says, the only thing complaining does is convince the other people that you're not in control. Miracles can come out of very painful places. Acts 16.25, the Bible says, and Paul and Silas, undaunted. Everybody say undaunted. That means... Even though they got beat up, they didn't complain. Even though they got locked up in, in a dungeon, they did not complain. Their faith was undaunted by what happened to them. Their faith was undaunted at what was coming against them. Their relationship with Jesus was undaunted. The Bible says, in Paul and Silas undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night, and sang songs of praise while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. Listen to me, church. When you complain, you make yourself the victim. When you worship, you take yourself to the victory. We can sit here and complain about everything that happens around us, everything that happens to us, but there's something different about a person that doesn't respond to a circumstance with complaining. Their response is worship. They find a reason to praise God. They find a reason why they're not going to complain, but they're going to worship God in the midst of their season or their storm. We have to learn to adjust our focus. Because when we zoom in to everything that we're going through, we can't see God in. All we see is our problem. All we see is our circumstance. All we see is our pain. All we see is what happened. All we see is what could have happened. All we see is why it shouldn't have happened. Because we're so zoomed in, we can't see anything out. I want to encourage you to stop zooming into your problem. Zoom out of your problem and zoom back into your Father in Heaven. Zoom back into Jesus. And the only way we zoom back into God is through worship. It's the only way possible. We learn to adjust our focus and zoom out. I have learned through trial and error, from personal experience, when I get into an emotional slump, when I get into a spiritual slump, It's usually because I've zoomed into a problem and I've zoomed out of my relationship with God. Why? Because for God, there's nothing too big for God in my life. There's nothing that he can't solve. There's nothing that he can't restore, come on. There's nothing that he can't bring back to life. There's no miracle that he can't accomplish. There's no relationship he can't heal. Come on, there's no person he cannot save. But if I'm just zoomed into my problem, all I see is an external circumstance and all i want to do, all my flesh will want to do, is complain about it. That's all it wants to do. My flesh just wants to complain on why it can't, why it should, why it did That's all it wants to do. It just wants to complain about all the good that God wants to do. But when we're zoomed in, You can't see what God's doing. You're seeing a small picture. When you zoom out and you're able to see above it, now you're able to see the whole thing, that God's working things out for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But you can't see that zoomed in, so you got to adjust your focus. Come on. you got to adjust your focus. I'm fixating on something wrong. I'm focused on the wrong thing. Nine times out of ten, the solution to this is to get a different perspective. To get a different view on it. When I was a a master mechanic, there were times that I'd be working on my bench and what I would do is I would rebuild transmissions and transmissions had like thousands of pieces depending on what kind of transmission it was. in. And I remember I was working on, it was a 19... I want to say, it was a 1988-1990 Toyota 4Runner. And the transmission and the transfer case are like two transmissions. And you can't dis- disassemble one without disassembling the other. It was a stupid design. Stupid engineering design. But you can't disassemble one without disassembling the other. So I literally, usually I work with one small workbench. I needed three workbenches to work on this one transmission, right? And I had thousands of pieces scattered and I had mapped it all out so I would Remember where everything goes. Because if you it's not like a lot of other things, you can't misplace one piece. One piece, tranny won't work, or it'll fail prematurely. And I remember just looking at my bench, and as and, and I just like I lost this little spring. It was this tiny, skinny little spring. And I remember I sat there for hours. Where did I put that spring? And I couldn't see it, I was so focused on what I'd gotten accustomed to seeing that I could no longer see what I was looking for. I needed to get somebody else to come and take a look at what I was looking at and immediately with fresh eyes, he was able to see what I was unable to see. Sometimes in life, you're gonna need somebody else's vision to help you see what God wants you to see. Because when you're so focused on a problem, you can't see what's right in front of you. You just can't. It's like your mind starts to play tricks on you. And I thank God for good people in the house of God, good female, good, good people that are the family of God that are able from time to time to come and say, "Hey, did you see this? Hey, did you look for that? Hey that you notice, did you notice this? And now I'm able to see but I have to zoom out. And get a better perspective. And sometimes involving somebody else's vision helps me see what the next step is. So you got to learn how to zoom out of your problems and zoom into God. Come on. Stop focusing on your problem and start focusing on the one who can fix your problem. There's a story about this college student. You probably heard me say this before. This is a great story. And uh, this college student wrote home to, to their families, dear mom and dad, I have so much to tell you because of the fire in my dorm that was set off by student riots. I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly and we have moved in together. I dropped out of school and when I found out that I was pregnant, um, he, he proposed to me and we got married after the birth of our baby, your loving daughter. P.S. None of this really happened, but I did flunk my chemistry class and I wanted to give you a proper perspective over things. (laughs) (laughs) Some things are not as bad as they seem. You're just too zoomed into your problem. You're you're so focused on your problem that you can't see the solution. And can I tell you that Jesus is always going to be your solution. Jesus is always going to be the answer. Man cannot give you. Women cannot give you. Finances cannot give you. Business cannot give you. Career cannot give you what only God can give you. You have to zoom out zoom out of our problem get a proper perspective and zoom back in to the author and the finisher of your faith and how do we do that? we do that through worship worship is is taking our eyes off of the external circumstance and focusing in on God we stop focusing on what's wrong with our circumstances when we start focusing on what's right with God Paul and Silas could have zoomed in and complained about their circumstance. God, we cast out a demon, and this is what we get. We're on a missionary journey, and we're beaten down and thrown in jail. Instead of watching our back, God, we get our backs torn apart by a mob. They could have complained, but they made a choice to zoom out of their circumstance and adjust their focus. They worship God in spite of, was, of what was going on. So here's what worship really does worship restores your spiritual equilibrium, it helps you regain a proper perspective on things. And somebody needs to hear this this morning. You need to zoom out and refocus this morning. It's refocusing on the fact that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sin. So you can praise God for that. It's refocusing on the fact that God loves me when I least expect it and I least deserve it. You can focus in on that. It's refocusing in on the fact that God is going to get me where God wants me to go and I can worship and praise God for that. It's refocusing on the fact that I have an eternity with God to look forward to in a place where there is no more mourning, that there is no more sorrow, there are no hospitals, there are no medications, come on, there are no handicapped parking spaces. I know that I serve a God that I can worship because He's been good to me. Worship is refocusing the fundamentals of our faith back on Him. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. George Bernard Shaw said this, People are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. He says, I don't believe in circumstances. The people who get on this world are the people who get back up and look for the circumstances they want. And if they can't find them, they make them. Because you see what you're looking for. Paul gives us some priceless advice as we all stand to our feet. He says this in Philippians 4:8. So keep your thoughts... Continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable, admirable, beautiful, and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts. Can I say fasten your focus? On every glorious work of God, praising Him always. Come on, if I could have every head bowed and every eye closed in reverence to the Lord this morning right where you're at, you know that you need to adjust your focus. Come on, lift both of your hands and surrender to the Lord. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, come on. I need to adjust my focus. I'm gonna zoom out of my problem and I'm gonna zoom in to God's grace. I'm gonna zoom out of the pain that I've experienced and I'm gonna zoom into God's healing power. Come on, I'm gonna zoom out of the external circumstances And I'm going to zoom into the personal relationship that I have with my Lord, with my Savior, Jesus Christ. Right where you're at, right where you're at, lift your hands. Let's focus in on God. Let's worship God. Let's lift our voice to God.